You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Yeah, my name is Gary Bashiris. I'm one of the elders here. And for those of you who are here in the auditorium, as well as you are here visiting online, welcome to the last sermon in our series of sexuality. When Jay suggested that we do this series, I told him I was feeling this desperate call to go to Africa for six weeks. (laughs) The funds were denied by God, so I'm still here. (laughs) But it's been a great series. We've touched on a lot of different things, and uh, it's felt really good going through it. The reason we're doing it, well, this is a, if you're watching the news, you probably saw the story of and Terjulis, a pediatrician, Dr. Ann, and uh, Jeff Younger, they're divorced now. Uh, they were married. I, she was a little bit older and wasn't able to conceive children, so they took some donor eggs and used his sperm and did in vitro fertilization, and it was successful. She gave birth as a implanted mom to twins and uh, then stuff came up and they're divorced now and they ended up in court this past week and it was quite a splash uh, just with uh, the stuff that was going on and the the big issue of course was child custody in most divorces that ends up being a just a very very contentious painful difficult circumstance and uh, you know it and just having it be spread over the news was just that much harder and uh, the twins the kids were the focus of it you know who gets it James uh, actually that's the same child that's the same child. The twin is Jude. The confrontation that led him to court was James <clears throat> because Dr. Ann uh, decided that at age three that James liked a McDonald's toy that was aimed toward girls and she decided that James really was a girl, and began socializing him as a girl and enrolled him in kindergarten a couple of years later as Luna. And in that process, I don't know exactly when the divorce happened, and James or Luna uh, was the point in the, who got to be the custodial parent. And Dr. Ann wanted to socialize Luna to be a girl in keeping with her identity. Uh, Jeff wanted to say, let's wait. Let's, like, hang on. Seven years old is a little early. Dr. Ann went to a transition clinic there in Dallas, and uh, she was planning at eight or nine to begin the hormonal treatments. to make sure that 
Luna was, body would be consistent with, but when Luna was within Jeff, he was completely comfortable as James as a huge, huge battle. The jury decided early in the week to give custody, custody of Luna to Dr. Ann. The judge overruled that toward the end of the week, gave them 50-50 joint custody, which just continues the battle, and put a gag order on both of them. We'll see how that works out. That's why we're talking about genders. Because this, this is what's happening in our world. It's happening in so many different issues. One of my uh, wedding I did a while back, uh, I was meeting with Casey and her little girl as a first grader and came home after a few days in school. Her book that the teacher was reading her is Jacob Has a Dress. And a first grade girl was talking about gender expression because it can be anything we want it to be. And <laughs> my friend said, I wasn't ready for that conversation, even though she's a nurse and knows things well. That's the nature of the world. And what we're looking for is here to, we're not here to do culture wars. We're not. We're not. We're not here to point out evil people. We're here to help hurting people find direction in God's grace. So we won't get it all done today, I promise you. I promise you. In fact, I'm going to stir up more questions. I already looked at the question thing and it's taking off. So the, the, uh, the recording from last week's forum is at, it's my website, brashears.net, Grace Forums. You'll see the recording in there. We'll make a recording of the one next week. Uh, so you're welcome to come. We'll make a recording of that too, so it'll be up there. And you can check there the resources in there. And there are resources back on the back table for you. Those who are listening online. They're available online at the brashears.net Grace Forums website. We're talking about God's design for gender. You know the preaching hates me, right? They do. They all the hard stuff to make me do it. It just, it's evil. It's evil. Who has compassion for me? <laughs> so we got some words we need to define. Sex. Now this is a noun, not a verb. We talked about good sex a couple of weeks ago. But as a noun, sex means in our contemporary thing, the bodily biological reality that we all live with that has to do with chromosomes and hormones and uh, genitalia and all that sort of thing. Uh, that's biology. That's body. And that's sex. Now, different term is gender. And gender is about, fundamentally, how I experience myself. It's not about my body, at least in today's world. It's how I see myself as more masculine or more feminine, more a boy or a girl, more a man or a woman. And it's also a way of expressing myself. So do I express myself with mannerisms that are more feminine? Do I express myself with clothing? Uh, do I express myself in the activities that I do as more masculine activities or more feminine activities? It's also, it's also the cultural expectations that are put on me as a man or a woman, boy or girl, because culture has some very strong expectations and you can get bullied big time for not meeting those expectations or coming out of line with that. So sex is biology, gender is identity or feelings, transgender, and that's a 
fairly new term to come into the public arena. Transgender is about uh, when there's a disagreement between my gender identity, how I see myself, or gender expression, and my biological sex. And when those two are not in conformity, then I am, that's what's called transgender, and it's become a term that's used in a lot of different ways. The thing that happens behind that is a, a term, it's called gender dysphoria, and it's a part of the counseling, psychology, psychiatry terms, and in the DSM, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, it's the standard for psychiatry and psychology and counseling, there's a technical definition of gender dysphoria, and that's a transgender thing. It's when there's a marked incongruence between one's experience or expressed gender and biological sex. That's transgender. It becomes dysphoria when there is a impairment or distress in social occupation or other important areas of functioning. Now, I'm going to have lots of stuff over here. Even the most rabid note takers are not going to be able to take care of it. And you online can't even see it. But the PowerPoint and all the things available, you can download it from the gracecc.net website. Transgender, gender and sex out of line, out of conformity. Dysphoria is when it becomes a problem a distressing thing. And it's a thing that, like anxiety, ends up being a counseling. Now, a fourth term is transgenderism. That's different than transgender. This is a, you've all read this book, haven't you? The Trans Generation. You haven't read it? Don't you read your Amazon wish list? <laughs> <laughs> How trans kids and their parents are creating a gender revolution. And see, this is a revolution. I'll just show you some quotes from the book. The very fact of the two-sex system, remember sex is biology, the very fact of a two-sex system is an ideological rather than a naturally occurring phenomenon. Right? Come on, people, get with the times. <laughs> It goes on, parenting to enable self-determination of sex and gender should be a given. So the institution and organization of the world need to stop oppressing people today with their gender expectations and with their gender norms. That's what brings suffering. See, the two-sex system is, uh, causes suffering. Now, I dare you to make sense of the sentence. I dare you. Good luck. The socially constructed, and we're talking about sex here, biology, the socially constructed heterosexual cisgender nuclear family is a key ideological building block of white supremacist and colonial capitalist heteropatriarchal societies such as Canada and the United States. Did you get all that? Now, there's a lot more in this, and this is just one book, but it's, it's, a, it's a system which we're calling transgenderism which is a worldview and a political agenda is being driven to mandate full approval for a system where sex and gender, biology and expression, are determined solely by the feelings and desires of an individual. And anybody who's not fully approved of that is a bigot, a hate monger, 
and causes people to commit suicide. That's transgenderism. Now again, I want to say, I'm defining this just so we know what the terms are. Obviously, I don't agree with some things, but our point is not to go into culture wars. Our part is not to attack people who are pushing the agenda. It's not what we're here for. We just want to know the kind of place we're speaking to and recognize that we have a different agenda here. We're going to go back to the beginning. Page one of your Bible. Because we believe God has an idea, and we believe it's a good idea, frankly. And what God says here on page one, Genesis 1, is God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Man there, of course, meaning humanity. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every living creature that moves on the ground. So I look at that. What's the first thing is about humans? Image of God. In the image of God, he created him, mankind. Rule over the fish, the birds, the things that move around on the ground. And what we're seeing here, <clears throat> number one statement about humans, we are image of God. We're created as ones who represent and look like, in some sense, the living God, creator of heaven and earth. And a very important thing is we are not animals. Now, to be sure, there's a continuity because we have many biological functions that are exactly the same as animals. Uh, but there's a difference as image of God characters. We are created to rule over, to take care of the world image of God. And we speak in differentiation from a secular agenda that says, no, we're just high-level animals, and really elephants are human too, as proved by another court case this week. You noticed that, didn't you? <laughs> Male and female, he created them. God said to them, So what we're seeing here is that male and female are created realities, essential parts as life as human beings, as image of God creatures. That is part of a duality that if I had more time, we'd take you through Genesis 1. So at the beginning, we save heaven and earth. That's a duality. They're related, but they're different. We get light and dark. We see ground and sea, all those kinds of things. Male and female is one of those dualities, and it's essential to humanness. He says to them, be fruitful, make more blessable image-bearing covenant partners. He said to them, fill the earth, which is create communities of generosity, justice, beauty, mercy, grace, those kinds of things, hope. He said to them, rule over. And so what we're seeing here is that human beings are covenant partners with God, created with a divine purpose to fulfill, that's fulfilling to us and furthers his rule of creating a beautiful world and crushing the serpent. That's a mission that he gives us, page one of the Bible. So, how do you fill in the blank? What's the word that goes in the blank there? 
all. And what we're saying here, without any hesitation whatsoever, all humans are image of God. All humans. Doesn't matter what race you are, what economic status you are, what kind of disorders you may have, what kind of power you might have, all image of God created to be covenant partners working with and for God, and he created them male and female. Now, as far as sex is concerned, biology, the difference of male and female, 99.98% completely separate. Male and female, completely different. Gender's a little more complex. But created male and female, and essentially important, out of image of God, is the idea that every single human being has human dignity, every single human being has personal purpose and inviolable dignity. And frankly, Christianity is the only religion in the world that says that. We hear a lot about human rights and that kind of stuff. The only religion that says full human rights for all human beings is Christianity. And we believe it absolutely true. No matter how high you are in your prank and privilege or how low you are in the economic and tragic things that can happen, image of God with dignity and rights to be protected and dignified. He goes on. Lord God formed a man from the dust to the ground. Hmm. There you go. Women, do you have any difficulty believing men are made out of dirt? <laughs> just saying, just asking. Dust the ground and breathe in your nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being, a nefesh hayah, a living soul. And what we see here is dust plus breath equals person. So what we say from that is a realization, Psalm 104, is that when God takes the breath away, the dust goes to the ground. What we're saying is if you separate spirit and body, death is the result. And that's actually an agenda item that we saw in the transgeneration, is to separate spirit and body, and when you do that, you get death as a result. Bible is speaking, and I think it's true. So what we're saying here is that humans are body plus spirit. Humans are body and spirit together. And what we're saying here, and it's important, I think, a human does not have a body. A human does not have a spirit. Rather, a human is a spirit body together in interacting duality. Aren't you glad you got a theology prof preaching this morning? Duality, not dualism. See, dualism separates the two. Duality puts them together because they're interacting. Remember Jesus in the garden before the crucifixion? Went to pray, desperate agony. Said to Peter, James, and John, watch with me, pray with me. And he went off to pray. What did they do? How come? They were exhausted. It had been a long day, 2 a.m. Jesus comes back and in agony says, 
couldn't you watch with me one hour? And he says something really important. What does he say? Spirit is willing. Body overcomes the spirit. See, that's interacting duality. Later on in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is going to say, I discipline my body so that I be found worthy of the cause of Jesus Christ. So there's an I there that's impacting his body so that the body and spirit together can be strong. That's interacting duality. When you separate those two, you have death. And what we're also saying here is we lived in sexed embodiment. Embodiment means we live in our body and we cannot get rid of our bodies. It's a given of who we are, and our bodies are, as I say, sexed. There's biological, you're either male or female. You either have male chromosomes, female chromosomes, and the tiny percent that are ambiguous, sometimes called intersex, it's a tiny percentage, and that, I mean, we recognize that. But it's not like there's some third sex or you can change at will. You're either male or female in your sexed embodiment as human beings. Back to page two. God said it's not good for man to be alone. And you know why, don't you? Men can't find their socks. Exactly right, David. Yeah, yeah. You've got a helper there to help you find your socks. It's good. So what he's saying is he needs a helper, and that's not just to find your socks, to be sure. I know you know that. <laughs> what is that helper? Biblical. It's an etzer. It's one who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The most common helper in Scripture, of course, is who? God. Holy Spirit in the New Testament, God all the way through. God is my helper my present help in time of trouble, Psalm 91. That's the one who helps us do what we can't do for ourselves. And the word suitable there technically means according to the opposite of him, kingdo in Hebrew. According to the opposite of him. It's a weird way of saying things. Another way of saying it is just complimenting him. So this helper is a corresponding strong one that we work together with. So his help are suitable. So God takes him and brings him to some animals, looks at the animals, says name them, understand them, and when he looks through all the animals, what does he find? He finds no suitable helper. Now dogs are good, cats are cute sometimes, Lizards, eh, I don't know. But they're pets, they're not helpers. So what God does then is the Lord God makes a woman from the rib or side of the man and brings her to the man who looks at her and says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What's he saying there? Fully human. She should be called woman because she's taken out of man, now brings back for them to, to, to be together. So what we're saying here, and we say this very, 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 very strongly, men and women are both human. And I speak with absolute rejection of any system that makes women lesser beings than men. And it's incredibly common. 
The women are sex toys of men, especially of powerful men, second-rate citizens to be bought and sold. It's so common in so many areas of the world, including some people that name the name of Jesus, and it's absolutely sin. Women are fully and completely human being, equal but different, complementary, male, female are different, each complementing the other. Page one and two of the Bible. That's still true. We make a mistake, it seems to me, when gender is seen to be exclusively binary. Now, I'm not talking about sex. Sex is the biology. Gender is the perception and expression and cultural expectations. So, which one's male, which one's female? Pink is girl. Blue is, how long has that been true? No, not forever, about 50 years. And only in America. It's a marketing thing. I think. So here's the question. It's a brain thing. Women are more cooperative. They have more oxytocin, the kindred bonding kind hormone. Women have a lot more oxytocin from the beginning. Men have a lot more what? Testosterone, which means they're more competitive. And you'll say, yeah, I know those guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know those guys. <laughs> Women more tender. Again, oxytocin, various brain functions. And I, men are more tough. Interesting that men in formation have 15% less blood in their brain. <laughs> Women more careful. Men are more impulsive. Reckless. <laughs> And I'm not down on toxic masculinity, by the way, at all. Masculinity is a good thing. It can be toxic, so can femininity. These are just differences. M women are more verbal. The frontal cortex forms sooner and has more density, they tell me. Men are more active. They're more, uh, they're amygdalas, and they become limbic more earlier on. And, and I mean, this brain science, ask Greg about it. Maybe he knows what he's talking about. I don't. Women under stress go to more tears because of the relational kind of things. Men go to more what? Anger. More competitive. Now, these are just differences. By the way, you can download the PowerPoint. Let's see, taking pictures and trying to take notes. That's fine. I told you to be packed. Who's taller, men or women? Women. Women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I looked it up. I was curious. Average woman, 5'4", average men, 5'9". That means all men are five inches taller than all women, right? No, 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 no. That's a generalization. I looked up, the tallest man is eight foot three inches tall currently. The tallest woman is 7'7". Seven, seven. So, who's the shortest? Shortest woman is two feet tall. Shortest man is one foot nine inches. Interesting. But see, the thing it is, you look at a particular man, particular woman, there's quite a variation. I think the same is true in terms of gender expression type things. So there's the tallest man and the shortest man. It's quite a picture. <laughs> there in England, it's, 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 I guess that's Canada. It's amazing. Uh, you can look them up on. So women are 
tender, men are tough. What happens when you have a tough girl? In our society, if a girl is more tough, more competitive, more tough, more aggressive, what do we do? We wonder if she really should be a girl. We wonder if she's, I mean, there's all kinds of things we do. How about a, a man or a boy who's more tender? Son of a good friend of mine, high school, very artistic, loves ballet, he's a songwriter, sensitive, and he came one day and shocked to find out everybody on campus thought he was gay. And what's happening these days is you're there and the stereotype is put on you, then you become, well, you should be a girl if you're, your biology is boy, but clearly you're, see, and that's the problem with the, with the stereotypes. They just don't work. Now, the differences are important. Fathers, mothers, so mothers, more toward caretaking. It's an oxytocin type thing. Men, more toward risk-taking. Mothers, more toward talk it out. They're more relational. Men, fathers, more achievers. Make it happen. So mothers, again, these are general things. Relational security is what comes from having a good mother. Personal security comes from having a good father. And I absolutely believe that every child has a right to a mother and a father who are committed to each other in marriage. really believe that. And that's what happens out of this. So fathers or children who roughhouse with their fathers learn that biting, kicking, and other forms of physical violence are not acceptable. Dad won't put up with that. Mom won't either, but dad's the one who's roughhousing with him. An involved father is critical in developing self-control. We could have a very similar statement for women in terms of relational security. We make mistakes when you divorce gender from sex because we're embodied persons, we're body and spirit together. And when you separate the two, you're pushing toward death. So you take a boy who feels like he's a girl, he doesn't have the choice of being a girl, we have to walk with him and help him be how to be a, a boy. We also have a mistake when we fall prey to cultural stereotypes. Who's this? We all know who Ken and Barbie are. Those are cultural stereotypes that are absolutely evil, my impression. When I look at Barbie, hypersexed, anorexically skinny, and no girl can measure up to Barbie. No girl can measure up to Barbie. Is it any surprise that girls wrestle with body issues when Barbie or her equivalent is the standard? Now this Ken is the hipster guy and most of the guys I know what don't anything to do with Ken. That's only the girls play with him. <laughs> right? Because he ain't the guy that's out doing risk-taking. He's the guy that wants a you know, fancy tea and sip it. This is the new thing. This is the new thing. This is the new thing, just out from Mattel. Creatable world. And you'll get Ken and Barbie, you get kind of a non-sexed child. And you see on the thing there, but see, Ken now can be anything. And there's a Barbie comparison. So this is one of the gender malleable dolls with a mix and match. You, she can be anything she wants to be. See, that's genderism. Frameworks. Mark Yarhouse is at Regent University back in Virginia Beach. He's a leader 
as a Christian psychologist in this whole area, he has three frameworks that he talks about. One is diversity. And this is celebrating the trends, the difference when biology, sex, and perception, gender are separate. He says, he doesn't say, but the diversity framework says we should celebrate that. Now, he doesn't think that's true, and I don't either, and we at Grace don't think that's true. We don't celebrate separating body and spirit, sex and gender. Another framework, well, that toward medical intervention, so you start hormone suppressants, gender transforming drugs, medical surgery, puberty blockers, all those kinds of things, but to bring the body in line with your desires. Not where we're going. Design framework is there's male and female. Like, get used to it. And the thing is, you're a guy. Like, be a guy. And it can be kind of harsh to do this. That's a Genesis 1 framework. Unfortunately, we live in a Genesis 3 world. In a Genesis 3 world, we have the disorder. We have brokenness. Is a part of a fallen world to be addressed with compassion, conversation, shepherding. We have in our congregation, I know for a fact, men and women who wrestle with gender dysphoria. That's, we see that as a disorder, but not a sin. Sin is when you start entertaining and moving away from who you are, seems to me. But our point here is to help people walk with that. We're not here to blast anybody. What about pronouns and names? Come to the forum next week, we'll talk about that. What's the authority we use? There are two different lines of authority, fundamentally, we talked about that earlier on. One of them is the authenticity or the eros, where we worship erotic sex and make it our foundational authority. So morality must resonate with who I feel I really am. My desires, my feelings, my perception are the ultimate authority of morality. That's the authenticity framework that's being said so often in our world. The other authority is the lordship framework, which focuses not on eros, physical sex, but on agape, sacrificial love. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. Deuteronomy 5, a woman she must not wear women's clothing or a man wear women's clothing. Now, to be sure, it doesn't say what men's clothing is. Nowhere in the Bible does it define masculinity and expression. Nowhere in the Bible does it decide femininity. It doesn't say what are the social characteristics of feminine men, feminine women, and masculine men. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. All people pray and prophesy, but if you go against your gender in doing that, then that's seen negatively. So what we find is in Scripture that only a few texts speak about cross-gender behavior, but all of them express unqualified disapproval. You have to be consistent with who you are. You can't separate gender and sex without running into difficulty. Colossians 3. As God's chosen people, holy, dear love, clothe yourselves with, what's the first one? Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. 
Masculine or feminine? Human. 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 This is all people doing this because it's like our God. Now, there's other things with it, but there's a common humanity. So we partner with the Spirit, image of God characters, making every effort to become a consistent Jesus follower, living according to our unique design. Every person has a mix of gifts and abilities, personality that's expressed individually and uniquely, and we celebrate that kind of diversity, 1 Corinthians 12. We according to our unique design as a person living in community, the incredible individualism of our society, where there's no commitment, I just have buddies and maybe not tomorrow. I could unfriend you, click, and you're not a friend anymore. End of story. Now that community is a commitment, a covenant community, exercising our common human attributes wisely in ways consistent with our sex or gender. Worship team, you want to come on up here? Now that's a packed sentence, to be sure. We can't, we, but that's the heart of what we're talking about here at Grace. When I look at Luke 5, the Pharisees complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You're a nice guy, why do you hang out with them blankety-blank people? And his answer is, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I've come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now he's mocking the Pharisees, to be sure. But what he's doing is hanging out with sinners and tax gatherers. And what we're saying is Jesus loves and serves all kinds of people. From the Pharisees to the prostitutes. From the governors to the criminals. Helping all of us come to repentance to come in back into line with his design. That's what we stand for here at Grace. I love Luke 6. Be what? As your Father in heaven is merciful. Be merciful. Do not judge. Do not condemn from a distance. Now discern good from bad, of course. But don't condemn from a distance. Forgive enemies. Love enemies. And that's what we stand for here at Grace. Unashamedly, unapologetically, unequivocally. We stand for the reality that we're going to be known for mercy with evil people. We're going to be stalled with grace and love and healing compassion for all kinds of people who are struggling with stuff. We're not going to do judgment and condemn, condemnation. If you do, we're going to get on your case big time and call you to mercy because it's in the transforming power and name of Jesus that we stand as a community of grace. Ladies, bless us. In the name of the great I am, we receive his blessing. I can't help but think of the story I began with. Dr. Ann and Jeff, younger, Jude and James or Luna. There's, I'm not saying one side's good, one side's bad. It's not, they're 
I mean, you read the story, they're both broken. People need Jesus. And James Luna needs somebody to walk beside him. And that's why I want to be here at Grace. I look at women who are desperately afraid of being alone, putting on all the pretty stuff to try to be acceptable somehow in the sight of a culture that has such stupid demands of women. I look at men who deal with the imposter syndrome, who are afraid to let anybody on the inside for fear you'll see that you're a fraud. You're not. You're just a guy who needs somebody to walk with you. That's what we're about here at Grace Community Church. No, we don't do it all right. We walk together in the name of Jesus. That's our commitment. Those of you wrestling with transgender issues, we'd love to talk. Love to. If you need professional help, we can help you do that. But we're going to be a community where you can talk about stuff. I've got stories that are here this morning who wrestled through that with us. Other stories are going on. Some others haven't had courage enough to speak up yet. We'll walk with you. We'll talk with you. We'll pray with you. We'll cry with you. We'll rejoice with you. It's what the community of grace does. Father, thank you that you are the compassionate, gracious, forgiving, faithful, loving God. Jesus, thank you for leaving all the glories of heaven, coming to suffer the worst of this earth, to redeem it, dying on a cross for forgiveness of our sins, rising to new life to give us the life that we so desperately need, exalted over the serpent and all his henchmen so that we can be united by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, convict us of those places where we still have brokenness we're unwilling to look at, empower us to do the things we're kind of afraid to do, and unify us to the community of grace, we pray in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.